Welcome to Two Old Bulls. My name is Tom and I'm joined by my partner, Paul. Together we have 75 years of combined sales and management experience. On Two Old Bulls, Paul and I will interview a variety of guests from all types of backgrounds. Our goal is to entertain, inform, and help you grow in whatever you do. So welcome to Two Old Bulls. Now let's get started. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Tom, it's wonderful. Wonderful. As you well know, I just got back from an awesome vacation in Ireland. Yeah, I tell you, you and Bill, Bill Clement over there, I heard uh, it was really good weather. It was a little dicey, but you guys had some, uh, plenty of beverages and battled through it, right? Oh, the pubs make it all worthwhile, my friend. We did a little singing in a pub and had a great, great time. And, yeah. Yep. Always fun. I've been there with you before. You can't sing, but <laughs> no, nah, you're not bad. I've heard, I've heard worse. <laughs> But uh, no, good talking to you. It's been, what, four or five weeks, so kind of rusty. I think, <laughs> talking about two old bulls, you and I are plugging in cables, and it's like, uh, hey, Tom, do you, uh, heck, I don't know. So <laughs> hopefully, we're, we may not be recording right now, but anyway, hey, uh, you know, you and I sometimes beat ourselves up on topics, and, you know, we're perfectionists in, in a way. Uh, we don't have a guest this week, but I think both you and I, you know, we have a lot to contribute, and I respect you at a high level. Uh, you're one of my mentors. I only have two, really, and you're one of them. So uh, I think you have a lot to offer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what'd you say? I said, boy, are you in trouble? <laughs> no. no. But, you know, we kicked around some ideas. So we, today, I think we were, we want to focus on just a very uh, a multitude of topics. And, you know, we talked about how to be a pro, not a punk. We talked about how to sell to complex organizations. And, and it's intimidating, right? I mean, and maybe that's where we start, Paul. I mean, I know you've had some big customers out there and you're a shy guy, you're a humble guy, but let's face it, you've tech, you've tackled multi-billion dollar companies. I know you have. Yeah. So here you are, you're sitting in your, I guess nowadays in your Tesla or your, uh, okay. I, you know, I used to be a Taurus. <laughs> I used to drive a baby blue station wagon Taurus. That thing was awful. <laughs> But, you know, you're sitting out in the parking lot. It's your first call, or maybe you're sitting at the house and you're doing a pre-call plan, which we've talked about before. Give me some basic architecture of your thought process. As you sit here today, I mean, you're, you're older, you've been there, done that. How do you, how do you tackle that big elephant? Well, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind, right? You, you got to have a plan going in. I mean, you can't freestyle it. There, there's it, it won't work as you well know you and i've been there before you just you got to have a plan going in we've gone with younger sales guys that don't seem to be ready for that so you know what's your plan is it, it you know you, you've got everything set up that you need to set it up um and and you're walking in with some confidence you, you gotta you know you just said something like be a pro not a punk well that's actually you know, in sports, they tell you to vision, like in golf, envision the shot, right? Envision making that shot. You've got to do some, I've always done that in sales as, as, as I've started a call before I've gone in. Envision the call, practice some of the things that I want to get across. And then most importantly, what I want to learn from the call. That's just as important as anything going in. So, Okay, sounds good, but I'm going to drill down. I mean, this is a big organization. You've got a CEO, you've got a, a gatekeeper, you've got the VP of engineering, you got a VP of purchasing. 
you're going in to sell a widget or a service or whatever, it doesn't matter. And let's just pretend that you have zero market share. They don't even know how to pronounce your name or your product. What do you do? Let's just pretend you've got an appointment with the purchasing person. Let's just set it up. How do you handle that? Well, I think that the, some of the things is you want, you want to give some leading questions, right? You, first, with the purchasing people, you want to find out, number one, about them. And, and then number two, you want them to talk about their company. So you want to lead them into those conversations because they like, you know, most purchasing people like nothing better to number one, tell you a little bit about themselves, their history, their background, and then about the company. And then after that, you kind of want to start leading them into ways about, you know, how and, and find out information about the product that you're trying to present there that you want to introduce, you know, lead them into some topics about that you know, what, what's the product doing today? Are they having any problems? Is there any warranty things? If they could, you know, I've often said to them, if you could, you know, wave your magic wand and the vendor would be the perfect, what would, what does that mean to you? What, what, what does that in the end, what does that entail? I know you've done some of that myself, your friend. Yeah. And Paul, the thing is, if we, if we could write a book and give a script, then everybody could do what we've done. And let's just face it, you go in there and you have a decent set of questions, but at some point it's intuitive, is it not? It is. It absolutely is. And you have to be flexible, right? You have to be ready to, to move in different directions. Well, what's the foundational thing in your gut though? And I've got a thought on this, but what in your, what's your mindset? Like if you are intuitive, what, what goes into that? I mean, like what's your stance and attitude going in? I'll help you. I want you. I, I think what you have is you got to be curious. You have to have a curious spirit about you. You got to pretend you're getting ready to buy that company and you want to know everything. Tell me how this place started. It's amazing. I noticed the building. Have you been here the whole time? How long have you worked here? Who owns this business? Is it private equity? Is it a proprietor? Is it mom and pop? Or maybe you've done some of that homework and you're going to ask different questions. But the point is, if you're flat-footed, and you don't know the next question, fall back on your, your mindset. And what is your mindset? Be curious. I Ask, like that, Tom. Right? I like, yep. And what I, and, and just kind of getting back to a previous point as well. And, and what you were asking those questions again, getting that, that purchasing agent, whoever to talk about themselves or the company, you're going to find, I think, I believe almost a hundred percent of the time they will, talk and expand and give you just about everything and even more than you were inquisitive about. I think that's a great point. So let's just say they're building a street sweeper, you know, just whatever. Ask them about their street sweeper. Are they, what markets do they serve? Are they considered high end mid range or do they have, you know, full coverage? Are they, are they more of an entry level product or, you know, ask them about how they play in the market. What, what is, what's the evolution of their, of their product offering? In other words, you know, if you do have a, and, and this is another thing that people, you got to be careful. You, you want to make sure that your audience, whoever you're talking to, in this case is the purchasing person, that they're willing to spend time with you. So this is one huge assumption that they're, they're gracious with their time. If they are, and you can kind of sense that, then drill down into it. And then, and then, Okay, Paul, let's say you've spent 15, 20 minutes with this person. 
what would be your transitional type questions? I'm going to set you up and see if you're thinking like I'm thinking. So you've been in this guy's office for 20 minutes. What would be a transitional type question you could throw at that person? Well, I think I, I said it a little bit earlier, maybe it's, it's kind of the way I, I always go is again, what, what's the perfect vendor for you, this company? What do you envision as the perfect vendor? And do you have one? All right. I'm going to throw one at you. I want to hear it. I think you asked the following other than yourself, who else is involved in buying decisions? Buying decision. That's a really good one. In other words, other than yourself says, I know you're involved. What does that say to that person? You, you're definitely one of the cogs in the wheel. Other than yourself, who else is involved? You hit an important thing there because it, it does he have, you know, you may even find out, does he have the final buying authority, right? So, and he may cut you off and say, hey, pal, I am the decision maker. Now, most of the time, we all know this. If it's a huge organization, there's no way. That's a liability. Right. This is a huge organization. We both know that it's typically by committee and then there's veto power by somebody. Right. So transitional type questions could be, Hey, do you mind introducing me to your your VP of engineering? Is there somebody else that I should get to know? My goal is to just to really learn, to learn about your organization. Yeah. I might sell you some products, but I don't typically want to do that until I fully understand your business. Is there anybody else? In other words, this gentleman or this lady has been friendly to you and you can tell that they're, that they're opening up, take advantage of that and say, who else in the organization should I talk to? I think that's a really good point. The other thing is you're, you're kind of letting them know, we don't even know yet if we have any commonality. I'm, I'm just kind of in the beginning right. to see if there's commonality between our two companies where we can do something together. There may not be, but there could be. Let me ask another direction here. And as I think you'll get you'll be on the same, same wave wavelength. If you're not on the same wavelength, that's fine. Let's say you have an opportunity to go back in a pointed situation. Let's say your service team's there and you just happen to have an open, open invitation. You get in the back door. Let's say you're talking to a, a person that's say the shop foreman or maybe assistant manager to the shop foreman. And let's say his name's Hank. What do you do in that situation if you're the salesperson? You treat him like uh, like like he's the VP of the operations. I mean, you 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 want to be inquisitive with him as well. You want to be curious with him as well. Find out, you know, what what are his responsibility? What are his challenges? What are his thoughts? I think those are really important things because he's more he is. How do you say it? He's closer. Uh, uh, to the reality of the end product than the gentleman sitting in the desk doing the buying, correct? No, there's no doubt about it. So uh, I agree. Uh, if you find somebody like that, that you can build that uh, rapport with uh, and have that relationship with at any level, this person could be gold. Uh, they, they might be the inside track in terms of information. Hey, I've been here 20 years. I can tell you everybody you need to talk to. A lot of those type of people are much more open and, uh, let's say, friendly than maybe some of the white-collar people. I agree with you, Tommy. And some of them, even I'll go beyond that, is, is you know, um, you and I 
together. I've spent time on a production line, working with guys on a production line, even the, you know, at a, a lower level than a foreman or assistant foreman. And sometimes those guys are your best information. I mean, I, I, I can tell you in a situation one time uh, uh, where I was doing that, doing an installation, and then one of the guys in the line was telling me about a competition coming in and doing some things versus us at the same company. So that's great information to know, right? Otherwise, you know, purchasing is not going to give you that. They're, they won't. So I think it's important to kind of be able to know everybody. I, I often say from, from the guy that sweeps the floors up to the CEO, I think that's an important part. So let's go in the other direction. Let's say you walk in and things are looking good and then you just get slugged in the face. You're sitting in the, in the uh, office of a person that you have the appointment with. And they're just not friendly, short, borderline you know, rude and confrontational and basically being a jerk. What, what, how do you handle situations like that? I think professionally, you just got to kind of look at it as, as, as number one, you don't know why that's happening. Right. I mean, it, it could be a number of different reasons. And I think then you got to kind of make a decision to yourself. You, you can't, you, it's not a good time. It's not time for you to, to try and close or, or, or make any progress at that time. It's time to reschedule and, and try it at another date. That would, that's be how I would handle it. What's I your don't, I completely agree. I mean, you, you hand them your card and say, Hey, you know, this, I, I respect your time. Sounds like you got a lot going on here. Um, I can circle back with you. I'll drop you a note and we can, you know, try to get together in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, I, I, I agree. Why push, uh, push the narrative when you've got an audience that's, let's say they're triggered about something at home or they just found out that, uh, they're late on a shipment or something happened in quality or whatever the case, they just got out of a meeting with their boss and got ripped. And you're, you're just, you just happen to be sitting in, in, in their office and they're, they're, they're transferring that anxiety and all that onto you. So, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, you're in this for the long haul. I tell people it's, it's a crock pot. It's not a microwave and just take it easy, you know, circle back and, and find the, the timing that works. And, uh, in many instances, I've found if you do that, this person will, if not apologize, at least say, Hey man, I'm sorry about the other day. It didn't, I, I wasn't in a good spot. And sometimes they won't, but, uh, they'll show it in other ways and, and, and give you more time, let's say. Right. Right. Yep. So are there, are there yeah. the ones that, you know, Tom, it's going to take time. It, it's, they're not ready to, to move in your direction. And you've got to be patient and you, you can't just write them off, right? Because it's an important account. You need, you know, you need to do it for the stakeholders of your company and everything. So you, but you got to be patient and wait for that opportunity. And so, sometimes it takes a long time. So let's talk about that. I mean, you just brought up something, the um, sales cycle. So just to make sure, I mean, sales cycle is from the beginning till the end of the process of the, the second you open your mouth to the to the point of where you're getting a purchase order, uh, the sales cycle could be two weeks, could be two years, right? Absolutely. What Absolutely. are some of the nuances that you found comparing and contrasting those 
to drastic differences? Well, you know, obviously the, the the short sale cycle is where somebody comes to you with an RFQ and you're doing a quote and and all of a sudden your price is competitive right off the bat and they want to give you business. The other side to that is there's another product spec in. You're not on that product and you've got to work yourself into that that product specification. And, you know, I've always found the easy, how do I say not easy, but the road to do that is you can't just push yourself into that position. You've got to kind of take a little bit of a, a ego hitch and say, you know what, let me at least start as a second source. You know, let me let me work my way into that position and then start from there to to build your relationship within that company and look for uh, either another solution that you can provide or your opportunity when it comes. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the two year sales cycle, quite frankly, is not made for everybody. I've hired a lot of salespeople. And that's one of the things that I ask is, uh, what's your typical, uh, dollar range of equipment and or service, uh, and also the sales cycle that, that you're, uh, accustomed to. And if they say it's one week or a month and we're hiring for a two year sales cycle, you gotta be very careful that that person can adapt and pivot into the longer sales cycle because it could be incredibly frustrating for that person. And then they ultimately leave the job because they're just not getting fulfilled. I agree, Tommy. And you and I worked in an industry where we worked uh, obviously in combination with distributors and original equipment manufacturers. And quite frankly, it's two different sales cycles especially when you look at uh, what I would say distribution sales guys versus uh, uh, account executives or key account managers that are calling on original equipment manufacturers. Uh, the, the sales cycle for a distributor sales guy is a lot shorter and it's a lot, there's a lot more pressure to bring that sales in quicker than with a key account guy that's working into an OEM to increase his wallet share and all that good stuff at that account. You know, you just hit on this dealer distributor. What if you are, if your job is to cultivate dealers slash distributors and you find that that dealer and or distributor, you know, we're going to use those terms synonymously in terms of the, the, the description here could be a distributor, could be a dealer. If you walk in there and you find out that they're basically either a unmotivated or b ignorant as to the features benefits value proposition of what you're offering what do you how do you approach that i think you you've got to really take a look at uh, their, their sales organization and their leadership as far as you know what they agreed to as far as representation of your product obviously they're not doing it so then it's time to sit down with that management team and you know go through what your thoughts are why they're not uh, uh your thoughts on why they're not doing the job you expect them to do and then you got to come up with a plan uh where they're going to you know increase that that you know what you need them to do in the marketplace and you got to set a timeline because eventually you again you have the responsibility to your stakeholders and your company as well that if they're not doing the job guess what you got to move on and and you know, you got you got to do it in a professional way, and I think that that's the way I would approach it. Would you Would you do anything different? 
No, I think you have to get the buy-in from the top and, and make sure that the, the buy-in, the compensation, the opportunity, the inventory, all the basics are there. Uh, because if you don't have the, the, the buy-in at the top, then you're wasting your time. If you do have the buy-in at the top and that person is struggling and reaching out to you for help, then what do you do? I think this, the same thing. Again, you've got to sit down with that leadership. You've got to put a plan in place. You've got to, number one, what's causing them to struggle, right? That's, that's the, the, what do you call it? The symptom. What's causing that? And then you got to figure out what's going to be the cause, the, the corrective action to help them change that in, in the in the marketplace. So let's say you set up a training uh, schedule. Let's say let's just pretend it's it's knowledge. They don't understand how to how to sell your product. Uh, ignorance. They're they're intimidated. They find themselves not bringing it up, and they, because they don't know the product. I mean, most salespeople, I think you would agree, if they don't know what they're talking about, they tend not to bring it up. And so let's just say it's a product offering that they don't know much about it. Or they don't have the experience and you're setting up a training schedule. Tell me your experience, the most effective way to do that. Well, I think the, the first part you got to do is, is you got to figure out what, what is the knowledge base of that, that distributor in their sales force. Right. And you start from there. And then based on that, you, you, you guide your presentation to work at that level. And I think at that time, you, you not only bring in yourself, but you bring in other people from your company that can help you build that knowledge a little bit quicker, a little bit faster. And you provide different tools for that sales, uh, sales team to help them out. I always look at dealers or distributors, right? In two ways. One, they're a customer, right? But the other part of that is their extension of your marketing arm, right? So how do you help them with that marketing arm extension. And, and I, I, I think, uh, you know, again, you, you look at that knowledge base and work from there as far as setting up what you're going to do technically with those people. Here's a couple things that I have done. Uh, I've been in these situations. There's a couple of things that I have found that work pretty well. Number one is called lunch and learn. Everybody yep. has to eat. So I'll bring in barbecue, whatever, and say, hey, I need an hour and a half. First 30 minutes, we're going to eat. It's on me. And we're going to do some training. And we're gonna, you're going to have to eat anyway. So let, let me just bring it all in here. We'll stuff our faces. And uh, we'll get into the content. The other thing that I have done, and it's always done in private, anonymously, I will do a pretest, 10 question, fill it out. Nobody sees it except for myself. And sometimes I don't even have them put their name on it. And they'll do the test. And then I have been shocked, Paul. I'd, I've done this in my own recent career. I have been shocked that people typically are getting between 25 and 30 percentile, 33 out of 10, they get right. Okay. And these are the people that are out on the front line trying to get orders. And so then that tells me all I need to know. Most of the time, if I'm in doubt of what the content needs to be, I start with the basics. 
I mean, I remember coaching T-ball when my son was four and the kid hit the ball and I said, okay, run to first. He ran to third. <laughs> so salespeople aren't any different. A lot yeah. of pride. They'll tell you they know the stuff and you find out they don't know squat. And if you do it in a way where you're not embarrassing them, and then my default position is, hey, there's 10 people there, right? Hey, two of you know this stuff. Just do whatever, but I'm going to go over the basics first. Nine, maybe eight of the 10 are have no idea, and they appreciate you're going over the basics. Like, you're bringing up OEM. You're bringing up RFQ. Some people don't even know what that means. Right. What's RFQ? What's OEM? We take we take these things for granted in our business when we say certain things. We, we just assume everybody know knows what that means, right? That's a great point. And what I like what you just said is that you and I worked for a company. I was a trainer for them. And that's one of the things we would do for a school, right? The first thing would happen is when 25 to 50 people would come in for that training, we'd give them a test. And uh, they'd be graded on that test. And by the way, at the end of the third day, they'd get the same test. And you wouldn't believe the improvement that we would see. That's Another exactly right. Yep. And another thing that I yeah, that that I, I've done for distributors is, you know, that's also a good thing, uh, but also getting their hands on the product, touch and feeling. So I, I do what I call you call it a lunch and learn. I've done that. I've also done a thing where I've said, you know what, we're going to do a focus trade show. I'm going to bring in a display of products, you know, all the, the, the products from the company, and I'm going to set them up in your warehouse. And, you know, we're going to do a little bit of a trade show where you can come and we're going to talk and, and go over them. And, and I found that to be, uh, I think that you find they they get very interested, especially when they can touch, feel and work with the product. I'll tell you another thing that I've done. If you have the luxury of time and willingness, because I'm one of them. And so are you salespeople are, can be very protective and weird. Uh, if you get a salesperson that is willing to let you ride in the saddle with them, many times I've told people, just take me out on five, six, seven calls and let me be the, the knowledge. All I need is, is for you to introduce me to the, the prospective customer. And when it gets into this topic, I'm there and I'll be your safety net. And I've done that too, where they, in other words, they, they listen to the expert and listen to, to the, the approach that I would take. Uh, that seems to work too. I think that's one of the most important things. I, and, and I'm glad you brought that up it, to me. I've always called that pulling the product into the marketplace, right? The sales guys that go into a dealer or distributor and sit me in, in just a meeting and, and, and lambaste the guys with sales facts and product facts and stuff and don't work with the sales guys. That's what I call trying to push the product into the marketplace. I think the pros do exactly what you do. They go out with the sales guys. They, they make the presentations. They help uh, gain some sales. And any good sales guy, any good sales guy, well, even in life, right? When I look at people... I always try to look at something that I can learn from that person and use as I go forward. And any good salesperson is going to do that with uh, somebody that's a pro at selling the certain type product that they're trying to do. And I think that's extremely important. And then what you always find, Tom, and I know you found the same thing, when you've had that success, when you've traveled with that sales guy and you've landed a nice account for that sales guy, 
it's like a, a, a snowball effect on the rest of the sales force. Then all of a sudden they're saying, you know what, it's my turn, you know, come out, help me, let's do some things. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's, uh, or that particular salesperson features your uh, product more than the others because all of a sudden they are excited and they, they've, they built some momentum and even in their own territory. So they want, they want a repeated success after the first one. Absolutely. They become almost champions inside that dealer or distributor. Absolutely. Which is yet another strategy, find a champion that you can train at another level that shows some higher interest, like a Ray Hutchison or somebody that takes a keen interest. Hey, really take them off to the side and say, I want to make you a champion. Do you mind? Oh yeah. I'll be your product champion. So right. if I'm not here, you can be my guy and I'll send you emails and stuff and you'll have a, a little extra stuff. And I found that to be good too. I think that's an excellent point. Not only you do that, but you make sure that the sales leadership in that company knows that they've got that champion. You know, it's like having a, a, a you know, different golf clubs, right? When he's got, he's now got a club he can use with his other guys when he need it, when, when you're not available, I think. Yeah. That's awesome. And yep. it doesn't cost them any money. It's really just more of a, uh, they just, for, for whatever reason, they've taken interest and it makes them feel uh, like they're having a, a, adding value beyond their normal job. Absolutely. Everybody likes to be included and, and challenged in that way and, and added extra value to a company. That's a good thing. So when you look at, you back to this, be a pro, not a punk. What? What do you, when you visualize a pro, you know, and I, I, I think of pros that, that are out there. Uh, what, what are some characteristics that you always see with that pro? What name a few things that, that you tend to see consistently? I think the, you know, one of the things is organized and, and not only what he's doing, but his appearance, right? You, you, mm -hmm. I, I, I've always strived, you know, you and I go back to the day when it was suit and tie, right? And, and yeah. uh, you were calling on accounts and, and even today where it's casual, I still, uh, you'll find me more with dress pants and a dress shirt uh, than you'll find me in like jeans and a polo shirt. Um, yeah. Yep. But even jeans, polo shirt, haircut, whatever. I mean, you're touching on something that seems like common sense, but it's not. It's not, you know, your shoes have to be clean, polished, you know, things, your belt, you know, shirts can't be beat up and wrinkled. I mean, it all sounds like common sense, but how many times have you seen these people? They're just disheveled and, and they don't even get out of the gate because people are looking at them like, when's the last time you've shaved your neck, you know, um, and it, you, you hit on something, but it's just, it's spot on. I can't ever think of a pro that looks bad. I mean, even if they're overweight, bald, like me or whatever, clean up, look fresh, look like you've got some sleep and you've combed your hair and brushed your teeth. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then be prepared. You know, don't walk in and sit across from somebody, dis not, not only disheveled, but with a bunch of papers, you're not organized. Yeah you're searching through stuff. You're, you're not ready right. for what you're supposed to do. And, and I think that just, that, that gives a signal that I don't believe is a good one to the customer. No, I totally agree. And, 
so so it's it's the optics in many ways not just clothing and and grooming but it's optics with the uh, brochures or pens or paper or notepad whatever the case may be so what are some other things that we see in pros i think pros always follow up i think yeah they follow up after a call mm -hmm. the customer with either some sort of either it, it could be mm -hmm. as simple as a thank you um, but most of the time it's with some sort of uh, acknowledgement of the meeting what was discussed and if there's any action issues that have to be handled you know how he's going to handle them and what time uh, stamp he's put on them to handle them what about that, little things you know a firm handshake look them in the eye respect um language the right. language humility but yet uh confident but not cocky yep right respectful absolutely sensitive to the other person's uh time uh, all those little things that that's what the pros do right they're they're personable typically they're personable they don't not all pros are super personable but most of them have the people skills, at least in the sales arena. Absolutely. Yep. They have a way to, to connect with people. And I, this is something I know you do, but I do this too. I don't gravitate. If there's 10 people in the room, I don't go over and, and, and stroke the CEO. I treat everybody not, maybe not the same, but I go around and try to get to know all levels. I mean, I've been in meetings. I, I can tell you, this is, it's happened one time. It's happened a hundred. I've been in meetings and here I am, you know, the big daddy coming in talking, whatever title versus all these other titles. And, you know, you go, I don't know if you've ever been in the situation where you you're sitting in the conference room and it's, it's obvious who the boss is, right? I mean, it's this person sitting at the end of the table. Everybody's just, it's almost like a dictatorship. They know not to talk. Right. I mean, I've been in these situations <laughs> and you do have to be careful because if you're dealing with a dictator, sometimes drop the tater, if you know what I mean. Uh, they want to be treated special. Yeah. And you can't, you got to almost pander, right? If you don't, uh, you'll be out on the street pretty quick. Talk about that a little bit. I, I just stumbled on that one, but different leadership styles. You know, it's it's kind of funny you say that. I, I've been lucky enough, I think, in my career that that with CEOs, I, I've, I've had, I, I would say, more uh, pros and better ones than I've had the other way. And I, I can just remember uh, CEOs when I started in a company and I worked on a, you know, the lab floor and, and the CEO of the company coming in and just introducing himself to me, you know, Hey, I'm so, and, and of course I knew who he was. What's your name? What do you do here? What do you do for the company? Tell me a little bit about yourself. And that's always put an impression on me. I've, I've always felt that, when I walk into a room, that's the way I want to approach people in that room is, is not that, you know, I'm, I'm at a higher level, they should approach me, but I want to get to know them. And I think I know you do the same. Yeah. I mean, it, it, depending on the situation, if it's somebody that's a little more open and let's say that they empower their team to, to interject and ask questions, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if it's if it's the CEO or president or owner of an organization and there's there's seven or eight other people in the room, 
I try to get around and connect if I can with everybody in there, because you just don't know who that person, who can make a, uh, a comment when you're gone that can make or break you. Absolutely. Uh, I've seen this happen when I've been on the other end of it. Uh, and somebody will say, you know, that guy was just a jerk. I'd, I'd never want to buy from that guy or whatever. And so, you know, you never want to underestimate these influencers in these situations that they're there for a reason. And so, you know, I think what I'm getting at is the pro has humility and is a people person and doesn't always gravitate to the highest ranking person. I, they, they go in and they're they're They try to be accommodating to whoever's in the meeting. I, I couldn't agree with you more. The other part today too, Tom is, is look at how fluid the employment market is, right? So those people in that room may not be the same people the next meeting. In fact, they may be at other accounts. You know, you look at areas that I work in here in the geography, and many times these people go from company A to company B, and I'm selling both companies. And, you know, so it's a it's a something that you have to plan for and, and be aware of. But I just think you're you're like me. You you like people. You 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 enjoy that part. And that's why I think we both love sales. I mean, we both love meeting new people, seeing new situations, building new friendships and relationships. I know you have customers today and, and from the past that are friends of yours. Yeah. I have the same. And, and I'm, I guess I'm not, no, I'm not going to say, I guess I'm proud of that. I really am because you think about it. That's the, the utmost uh, part of relationship building. Well, if you think about competitive advantage, it's, it's relationship. Uh, if you don't have a relationship, it's very difficult to sustain the business long-term. And sometimes relationships, not point to point, it could be uh, organization to organization. So in other words, the cost of divorce becomes incredibly high because of these relationships that, that uh, are built over time. I, I remember being at a trade show not too long ago and this, uh, VP guy came up. He was the main guy that decided who to buy from that type of thing. And, and he came up to me and said, man, I'm just getting hit left and right, but your competition, they're coming after you. And I said, well, I, I'm not surprised. And we just laughed about it. And he's like, he goes, I just tell these people, there's no way you're not going to replace. And he rattled off five or six people, you know, on the team. He's like, there's just not, it's not going to happen. You know, you guys do stuff for me that, um, I'm not going to throw that out the window. And he said, frankly, you're, you know, your products are, are good, but they're not maybe superior, but it's all about the organization and the people and the relationship. So, and that takes time, right? I mean, this is what we're talking about sometimes on the sales cycle. It's, it's trust that has to be built. And so if you do get an opportunity, you mentioned the second source, uh, it's always good to go back to your team and we didn't even talk about this today, but we'll end on this one. You, br you brought this up the other day that we're the gap between the customer and the stakeholders, or let's call it the owner or the people that you work for. You're that gap. You're sitting in the middle. Uh, obviously you have to go quote, sell the customer 
on your value proposition. But then sometimes you have to go back to your company and sell them on why this customer is so important. Talk about that, Paul. I think sometimes that's the harder sale. I mean, absolutely selling within your company that that they're, this customer is worth the effort that you're going to put forth. You you had just I wanted to touch on something there too. You, you had mentioned the cost of divorce and and about more people. You know, you and I have sat through consultants, and I remember the one consultant that I sat with the one time, and he mentioned this. He said, "You treat the customer like a bow tie." And what he meant by that, he said, "When you look at the the small narrow part of the knot, that's that's you, the sales guy calling on, let's say, the purchasing guy at first. That's your first meeting." But he said, "Then you want to invert that bow tie, and you want a wider track of your people touching more people at their company," and and. That's, I think, the, the absolute key to selling your company that you want more involved at the customer helping you, you know, cement that relationship, ingrain yourself and, and position yourself at that customer. We, you, know, you both, you and I have had to go through that situation. Well, I mean, how many times, and I've seen this, unfortunately, where people get complacent at the factory. And it's just, it's another PO, another PO, another PO, another order, another order. And they become, they sleepwalk and they sometimes get complacent in the fact that the orders are just going to keep rolling in the door. And sometimes if it's a new big opportunity, what I find myself doing is I'll set up a team's call or uh, in the old way of doing things, a, a call, a, a, a meeting at the factory, and I'll bring in the the plant manager and the logistics person and the uh, customer service and finance team, whoever, and I'll say, listen, this is XYZ company. You're going to see an order come in here in the next couple of days. And I cannot emphasize how important it is that we get it right the first time. We got one chance for the first impression. And if we're going to screw something up, let's don't screw this one up. If you're going to screw one up, screw somebody up that we, <laughs> we have a little bit of margin for error and we can recover. These people are going to be watching everything about us. So I've, I've found myself in the past doing that and it's a little bit paranoid, but uh, it just heightens the awareness of how important it is if you if you have that one shot. Well, and, and the one shot, and then sometimes you find yourself uh, six months down the line doing it again because just what you just said, there's some complacency or some processes weren't being followed or or things like that. So you have to go in and do it again and say, hey, guys, you know, there's plenty of people knocking at the door at this account. You know, we, we need to keep our, our advantage here. And well, it's really funny, and I and I, I want to say one last thing, and we do have to get off here. But uh, talk about when when we do screw up as a company, not yourself, but as the company that the company that you re, that you represent, you just flat out screwed up and didn't execute at a customer. And I've had this happen time and time again. It's going to happen, by the way, <laughs> audience. If if you're in business long enough, you're gonna you're going to screw something up. And I'll just start this one off. Here's what, here's what I would say. If it's a, if it's obvious that you've screwed something up, 
the quicker you can call that person or people or organization and tell them that, the quicker you can do it, the better. Hey, we messed this one up. We really did. We're sorry. We're going to make it up to you. But I just want you to know we flubbed the dub on this. And uh, we're going to make every effort to mitigate so it doesn't happen again. But I just want you to know we we regret what happened. We're looking into it. We're going to find root cause and corrective action. I'll get you a full report. But I just wanted to call you and let you know we're not hiding. We know we messed this up. And uh, we feel bad about it. And I, I think that works. I can tell you from experience, I just had to do that. I mean, we had an account that we were uh, having problems at. And uh, number one, we had to take, I had to, as a sales key account guy, I had to take ownership. And literally, I took a team of people up to there. It was problem with receiving our product, all sorts of complaints. And it just, uh, uh, all sorts of mistakes were happening. And, and we weren't doing it to, to the way the customer wanted I took a team of people up there and we literally went onto the receiving floor and sat with the receiving people and we took a whiteboard and went through the problems. And then we, we also uh, um, came up with solutions. And guess what? I mean, some of the people in that receiving department, there was give and take, you know, with some of the things because the product that we were shipping was not an easy one. And we said, here's our problems with doing it the way you say you want. And they understood. And by the end of that meeting, we came up with solutions for every one of the problems. Well, that's good. We're gonna we're gonna call, stick a fork in this one. Had some good stuff. I mean, we were we were uh, um, we went around the mountain on some different topics. I think there were some some good there were some good things there, Paul. And uh, we touched on a lot of different things. And uh, hopefully, our next podcast, we're gonna have a, another uh interview guest i've got a couple teed up i know paul has a couple teed up in the meantime uh reach out and keep uh, doing what you do uh old bulls at outlook.com if you have some feedback and uh we enjoyed sharing some time with you thanks for listening all right take care see you tommy